You are listening to A Shoulder to Crime On. Topics discussed on this show may be disturbing to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, Lucy. Hey, Kinsey. How's it? We need to think of something different to say at the beginning, I think. I know. Hey. <laughs> it's we've, not already, like, we've already said hi to each other. Well, I want to say hi again. To all of our listeners. It's just so polite, you know? It is polite. You're very polite. Right. Just want to say, hi, guys. It's me. (laughs) I'll just go ahead and apologize right now for the fact that we're recording and then Kinsey has to put this out immediately because I did not record last night. (sighs) Lucy, it's okay. (laughs) I'm like, I don't like Kinsey so mad at me and Nicole's like <laughs> isn't she used to it I'm like well yeah but that doesn't mean I'm not like annoying well it's funny because when I didn't hear back from you in an hour I'm like she's not gonna answer so I'm just gonna <laughs> aggressively tell her we're definitely doing yeah, this tomorrow that's, good. <laughs> See, that's what you have to do so I'm like I will call you 18 times tomorrow if you don't yeah, answer me that's what it takes. <laughs> I know then as soon as I woke up I'm like I'll call you in a little bit <laughs> it was totally unplanned we went to one of our friend's houses. He's going to watch Pancake for me next week. And Pancake really likes him, but he's never been there. So we went there. So that Pancake, like, when I dropped him off there, wouldn't think that I'm, like, Abandoned. abandoning him at a strange house. Yeah. And my ex-boyfriend from, like, the summer after I graduated high school <laughs> is, like, still in our friend group. And he is having a tough time with his wife. And he happened to be in town and staying with our friend for like a month. And he dislocated his shoulder the day that he got here. But it was like, oh, hey. And we had this really nice talk of like adults and not like <laughs> fucked up 19 year olds and just like chatted all night. And it, but that was really good. And then I got so stoned that I couldn't even drive home. And so Nicole had to drive me home. And then I'm like, <laughs> Nicole's like, it's still kind of early. You can still call her. I'm like, no, I can't. <laughs> Absolutely not. Can I do this? So it's okay. I forgive you. Ex-boyfriends <laughs> are very important. <laughs> it was just—it was so weird because, like, I haven't seen him in so long, and like when we dated, we were like fucked up, insane, like nineteen-year-olds with all these issues, and then it's like, hey, we're like in our thirties, and like you still have issues. Oh, you do, but... <laughs> well, totally. It's not like I did before. <laughs> They're just new issues really new ones maybe worse but like I'm better at hiding them oh my gosh that's really funny but it was good well I'm glad that you had fun I wasn't really that mad I kind of figured that was gonna happen I know you don't like really get that mad but I'm like she used like four exclamation marks it's like like she's serious it's like a 50 50 shot that I'm gonna be like a little irritated or not bothered at all (laughs) And that time I wasn't even irritated. I was just like, nah, we'll just see. And you did the right thing. Just, Lucy, we're recording tomorrow. And I read it and was like, yes. Yes. Yes, ma'am. And then I was like, Nicole, you have to drive me home. (laughs) Felt like a fucking 16 year old. We like started watching Christmas Vacation and I was laughing so hard in like the first five minutes. I'm like, I can't even, like, we need to just go. I'm like, I can't handle this. Alicia didn't make you walk home. It was my car. She had to drive me home. She wanted to get home. Oh, she did. So, yeah. All right. Well, shall we give out what what we're talking about this week? Yeah. Oh, wait. There you are. Okay. Oh, yeah. I'm here. So, 
<laughs> You're right there. Right there. Since it's winter and it's finally snowing in Colorado, our cases, well, winter slaughterland. Not Wonderland, slaughterland. Lots of blood, gore. Lots of blood. Some snow. Just some. <laughs> Just some. I mean, I don't know how much snow is in your area, but. I mean, it was. My like, case. There's a good amount of snow. At least two snowy. feet. At least two Same. feet. <laughs> Did you say at least two feet? Yes. Got Perfect. that from the the episodes I watched about it. <laughs> I told you that. Hey, here's a question before we get started. No, I'll wait until I go and then ask. Uh-oh. This is another pronunciation. I'll wait until it comes up. Excellent. I want to hear you butcher it. And no, you don't. You. And then... <laughs> well, who's going first this week? I don't know who went first last week, but I don't think it really matters. I want you to go first this week. You want me to go first? Okay. Yeah. Well, mine's a very famous case. Apparently, (laughs) it happened. (laughs) What? No, I thought that. Okay. Okay. I'm still drinking my morning coffee. Bear with me. It's true. Well, apparently this case came out, like, right as Facebook came out, so it's one of the most, like, famous um, social media media. case. Anyway, so I'm talking about Mara Murray today. That is famous. It is. The strange, weird, unsolved, per my usual (laughs) case. I like it. I do like these unsolved cases. They're fun. All right, well, buckle up. There's a lot, so here we go. All right, Mara Murray. I hope I'm pronouncing her name right. I even listened to it like a million times last night, and it it still feels weird. But Mara sounds right. Mara, yeah. Because it's like Laura with an M. Laura, Mara. Okay, all right. Okay, right. Yeah. All right. Well, she was born May fourth, nineteen eighty-two, in Hanson, Massachusetts. She was the fourth child of Fred and Lori Murray. Marie, Marie. <laughs> she Marie. had a yeah, yeah. She had an older brother, Fred, two older sisters, Kathleen and Julie, Julie, and a younger brother, Kurt. <laughs> Julie. <laughs> Shut up. Okay. It's gonna be fine. Okay, we're going. Can <laughs> go I tell you about the time? Oh God. That I was like playing a game with this Jewish kid I knew, and we were talking about food, and I said I didn't like bagels because they're too chewy. And he's like, did you just say you don't like bagels because they're too chewy? And I was well, no, but that's actually also accurate and appropriate. That's not why I don't like them. I anyway, love bagels. <laughs> I hate them. Not because they're too chewy. But, okay, Sister Julie. Sister Julie, not Jewy. Um, okay, so Mara was raised in a Catholic household. When she was six, her parents divorced after which Mara lived primarily with her mom. Mara graduated from Whitman Hanson Regional High School, where she was a star athlete on the track team. Apparently, she also played basketball. Uh, She was accepted into the United States Military Academy in West Point, New York, where she studied chemical engineering for three semesters. Yeah, that is a big deal. She was really smart, I guess, like on the honor roll and everything. Um, But after her freshman year, she transferred to the University of Massachusetts Amherst to study nursing. The documentary that I was watching said that it was because she stole from um, West Point, and they basically kicked her out. What? I don't know. They didn't, like, elaborate. <laughs> but apparently she stole, and they're, like, really strict and stuff, so she left because of that. Um, 
And then, okay, so in November 2003, three months before her disappearance, Mara admitted to using a stolen card to, or credit card to order food from several restaurants. The charge was continued in December, but to be dismissed after three months if she had good behavior. So if she didn't get in any more trouble, they'd strike it from her record. To me, that just sounds like the beginning of some sort of mental illness. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's weird that... Like someone who's doing really well and doesn't, like, need... To steal or do those things, but, like, yeah. they do it anyway. Yeah. I don't... Yeah, it gets... I don't know. There's a, There were a lot of theories as to what happened to her, and we'll... I'll talk more about it, but... Um, let's see. So, on the evening of February 5th, 2004, Mara spoke on the phone with her older sister, Kathleen, while she was on duty at her campus security job. Around 10.30 p.m., while still on her shift, Mara repeatedly broke down in tears... When her supervisor arrived at her desk, Mara was just completely zoned out, no reaction at all. She was unresponsive. So the supervisor escorted her back to her dorm room around 1.20 a.m. When asked about what was wrong, Mara just kept saying, my sister. So, like, no one knew what what happened. Um, but the contents of the call remained unknown until October 2017, it was like a long time after Kathleen finally publicly explained the conversation and it's so weird so if you watch the six part episodes on oxygen that go over this case sorry my like I, was that me? I've okay. literally tried to get that to stop on my computer and it won't um anyway she's like they do an interview with Kathleen and she's really weird like she's looking all over the place like she looks bug-eyed sometimes and she just like kind of stares at them um but she basically said Kathleen she's a recovering alcoholic she had been discharged from a rehabilitation clinic that evening and was on her way home when her fiance took her to a liquor store and that caused an emotional breakdown so that's what she was talking to Mara about so apparently that made her very upset I don't have siblings (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what it's like to have a drunk sister and how sad you'd be if her fiance took her there. But I mean, I have siblings, but they're they're just so much younger. That's true. I've seen my sister drunk like once, and she's just a goober. (laughs) A goober. (laughs) Well, I don't think Kathleen's a goober since she's recovering, but. So then moving on from that, on Saturday, February the 7th, Mara's father, Fred, arrived in Amherst. He told investigators he and Mara went car shopping that afternoon and later went to dinner with a friend of his daughter's. Mara dropped her father off at his motel and borrowed his Toyota Corolla. She returned to campus to attend a dorm party. She arrived at 10.30 p.m. At 2.30 a.m. on Sunday, February 8th, she left the party. At 3.30 a.m., en route to her father's motel, she struck a guardrail on Route 9 in Hadley, causing nearly $10,000 worth of damage to her father's car. What kind of fucking car did he drive? Jesus. A Corolla. A Corolla? A Corolla. Can get $10,000 worth of damage? About, like, how much they should cost? Well, I know. You'd total? think it'd just be totaled at that point. Like, that's a lot of damage. Um, so the responding officer wrote an accident report, but there's no documentation of a field sobriety test being conducted. Mara was driven to her, which is weird, wouldn't you think? Whatever. Um, Mara was driven to her father's motel and stayed in his room the rest of the morning. At 4.49 a.m., there was a cell phone call placed to her boyfriend from Fred's phone. The participants and content of the call are unknown, which is weird. 
if she was calling her boyfriend, wouldn't it just be her and her boyfriend? <laughs> One would think. Okay, anyway. So later Sunday morning, Fred learned the damage to his car would be covered by his auto insurance. So he rented a car, dropped Mara off at the university, and departed for Connecticut. At 11.30 p.m. that night, Fred called Mara to remind her to attain accident forms, and they agreed to talk again Monday night to discuss the forms and, like, get everything filed away and good to go. So then after midnight on Monday, February 9th, Mara used her personal computer to search MapQuest. Oh, good old MapQuest days. Fuck. <laughs> like, when you had to print off directions or, like, yes. write them down. <laughs> Damn. To go to, like, a birthday party. <laughs> I, like, think about that sometimes, like, in high school or something. Like, when you'd go to a party somewhere, it's like, how the fuck did I get there? And then how did I get home afterwards? <laughs> right! Like, for real. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, MapQuest. Oh, so funny. <laughs> anyway, she had MapQuest directions to the Berkshires and Burlington, Vermont. So, um, let's see. The first reported contact Mara had with anyone on February 9th was at 1 p.m. when she emailed her boyfriend... She said, I love you, stud. I got your messages, but honestly, I didn't. I love you, stud. <laughs> I love you, stud. <laughs> but honestly, I. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> not that he's not a stud, just that's a weird word. No, I found Saren. Love you. Stud's an awkward word. It makes me think of a spud. And then like I think of potatoes. Yeah. <laughs> that would make me really happy. <laughs> That's just where my mind goes. Kind of like potato. (laughs) Happy potato. I don't know what that means. (laughs) Oh, God, my husband's a potato. Venus potato. (laughs) He's a nice potato. He's a great potato. (laughs) If we had a sound person, I would tell them to edit this part out. No, we got to keep it. Yes, we do. Proceed. Anyway, she said, I got your messages, but honestly, I didn't feel like talking too much of anyone. I promised to call today, though. Love you, Mara. She also made a phone call inquiring about renting a condo at the same Bartlett, New Hampshire Condo Association, with which her family had vacationed in the past. Phone records indicate the call lasted three minutes. The owner did not rent her a condo. And at 1.13 p.m., Mara called a fellow nursing student for reasons unknown. What was the... Did the nursing student answer? Yeah, we don't know. They, like, we don't know. I don't know okay. anything about it. Yeah. And then at 1.24 p.m., Mara emailed a work supervisor of the nursing school f- faculty um, that she would be out of town due to a death in her family. No one had died, but that's what she had said. Um, I've probably used that one before. Well, yeah, I feel like college students will use anything to get out of class. 100%. So I mean, I was like... in my 30s, but it's the same thing. Oh, <laughs> I'm too paranoid to use things that I can't absolutely semi-prove happen. Stop saying study. Okay, my computer died. Uh, I thought it was plugged in. It wasn't. So we just went away real quick. (laughs) Going to give Kinsey a second to regroup and figure out where she was. Uh, I am plugged into the wall now, so we're, like, all good. Are we? Are we good? good. Yes. Yes, we are. Well, as I was saying is I'm too much of a scared little child to like lie too intensely to anybody basically so unless I can't like semi-prove what I'm talking about I like won't do it that's very that's noble you have a lot of integrity I'm just scared of authority I think (laughs) well we could just say that you're honest and a good person instead 
Yeah, and that too, but also yeah. terrified of authority. <laughs> anyway, so I would probably never use the death of somebody if I couldn't give, like, a death certificate, because... Ever? Also... You couldn't give it... Do you watch Seinfeld? I mean, an episode here Okay, well, there was there. the episode where George, like, went, so went to, like, his girlfriend's uncle's funeral or something, but his work made, like, told him he had to have a death certificate to get out of work, and he had to, like, awkwardly ask these people who he doesn't know for like a copy of the dead lady's death anyway see i feel like that's a thing <laughs> or i feel like because that. i used that excuse someone i know is gonna die because i shouldn't and then you can't go to their funeral yeah that or they're just gonna die because i lied about it <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> anyway apart from my personal problems here um let's see where was i Oh, so she also told the nurse, nursing school faculty that she would contact them upon her return. At 2.04 p.m., Mara called a number which provides recorded info about booking hotels in Stowe, Vermont. The call lasted about five minutes, and at 2.18 p.m., she called her boyfriend and left a message promising that they would talk later. In her car, Mara packed toiletries, clothing, college textbooks, and birth control pills when her room was searched later. And birth control. Yeah, and birth control. <laughs> well, so that plays into an interesting theory that I'll tell later. Uh, when her room was searched later, campus police discovered most of her belongings packed in boxes and the art removed from the walls. It's not clear whether she packed them up that day, but police at the time asserted she had packed between Sunday night and Monday morning. Which I feel like was, there was a lot going on. Like, how did she even have time to pack when she was, like, out partying, wrecking her dad's car? Maybe she's been doing it for a while. I don't know. Well, there was one theory that on the... Um, TV show I was watching, the girl was talking about it was early in the semester that maybe she just never unpacked and that it wasn't anything. That's solid. Yeah. I mean, or if she was doing the whole, like, maybe she's manic-depressive thing, you just don't sleep when you're manic, so. Yeah. Who knows? So it's interesting to, no one knows exactly, obviously, why she packed or why things were still packed. Didn't pack. Yeah. Unpack, you know, okay. Yeah. And then on top of the boxes was printed an email that, uh, to her boyfriend indicating trouble in their relationship. Around 3.30 p.m., she drove off campus in her black 1996 Saturn sedan. And classes had been canceled that day due to a snowstorm. So at 3.40 p.m., Mara withdrew $280 from an ATM. A closed-circuit footage showed she was alone. At a nearby liquor store, she purchased $40 worth of Baileys, Kahlua, vodka, and a box of Franzia wine. Oh, the classiest yes. of the boxed wines. Yes, all the wines. So she's just, like, pounding white Russians and playing slap the bag. <laughs> like slap the bag? <laughs> no! Are you shitting me? No. Was this just an Iowa thing? You take the bag out of the box, and then you hold it in the air, and someone has to come at it and, like, wind up and slap the bag as hard as you can, and then you just chug out of it. So it's really not even a game. You just gotta hit the bag and take a swing. It's a game. Oh, wow. Fun game. Slap the bag. Oh, my gosh. Anyway. She was, anyway, yeah, no. Yeah, she was playing that by herself. <laughs> yeah, and drinking white rice. So security footage showed she was still alone. At some point in the day, she picked up accident reports, um, or the accident report forms. Okay, so then Mara then left Amherst between 4 and 5 p.m., presumably, presumably, 
presumably. <laughs> presumably. <laughs> this is first time. Glad it's not just me. Presumably. Yeah. Via Interstate 91 North. She called to check her voicemail at 4.37 p.m., and that was the last recorded use of her cell phone. Sometime after 7 p.m., a Woodsville, New Hampshire resident heard a loud thump outside her house. Through her window, she could see a car up against the snowbank along Route 112. The car pointed west on the eastbound side of the road, so she telephoned Grafton County Sheriff's Department at 727 to report the accident. So, like, if you, where she is, too, um, for anyone who doesn't know anything about it, there's literally a sharp turn bend, and there's, like, houses around there. Um, there's, like, three houses, so three people or neighbors could, like, see the accident site from their, from their, like, yards. Did she have a cell phone? Did she have a cell phone? Yeah. She did, but the area that she crashed no in, service. there's no service whatsoever. Sure. Yeah. Um, so, according to the 911 log, the woman claimed to have seen a man smoking a cigarette inside the car. However, oh. she later said that she had not seen a man nor a person smoking, but rather had seen what appeared to be a red light glowing from inside the car, potentially from a cell phone. At about the same time, another neighbor saw the car as well as um, someone walking around the car. She witnessed a third neighbor pull up alongside the vehicle. That neighbor was a school bus driver returning home. Um, he noticed the young woman was not bleeding or visibly injured, but cold and shivering. He offered to telephone help. She asked him not to, um, not to call the police. Um, one police report said that she even pleaded that he shouldn't call the police and assured him that she had already called AAA. AAA has no phone call record of this, and the bus driver knew that she couldn't have because there's no cell service. Like, it's impossible that she could have called, called AAA. AAA. Um, so, yeah. So, knowing that there wasn't any cell service in the area, he continued home and called the police at 7.43. Another local resident driving home claimed she passed the scene around 7.37 p.m. and saw a police SUV parked face-to-face -face with Mara's car. She pulled over briefly and didn't see anyone inside or outside the cars and continued home. This witness contradicts the police log, which has them arriving nine minutes later. So it was like a big crazy thing that she saw that the car was like car number 001, which is the sheriff drives 001. It's the only SUV of the police force. Um, but they were able to interview the police after them literally for the last like 16 years, turning down every single interview. They finally interviewed with these people that did the oxygen show and... Um, they were like, no, it was the uh, the officer on site who did the incident report. He was the one who was driving it that day, so the sheriff was never on site. So there was this big thing that they're like, oh, the sheriff did it. What did he do with the with Mara? But sounds like a cover up. Well, and that was the big thing is that the police kind of hindered a lot of the investigation and wouldn't talk to the dad a lot about anything. That's and so, so up. there were a lot of people who thought that the police were hiding a botched. Like, um, no, I'm just, I'm convinced investigation. that, like, police lie about everything. Well, to help their own sometimes, you know, to cover. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right? So that yeah. was, that was one theory, but... According to the police log, at 7.46 p.m., the police arrived at the scene. No one was inside or around the car. The car had impacted the tree on the driver's side, severely damaging the left headlight and pushing the car's radiator into the fan, rendering it inoperable. The windshield was cracked and both airbags deployed. The doors were locked. Um, inside and outside the car, they discovered red stains that looked like red wine. Inside oh, the... not fancy, yeah. <laughs> inside... Go away. Um, inside the car, the officer found an empty beer bottle and a damaged box of wine in the rear 
in the rear seat. In addition, he found Mara's AAA card, blank accident report forms, gloves, compact discs, makeup, diamond jewelry, driving directions to Burlington, Vermont, Mara's favorite stuffed animal, and Not Without Apparel, a book about mountain climbing. <laughs> yeah. Missing were Mara's debit card, credit cards, and cell phone, none of which have ever been located. The police later reported some of the bottles of purchased liquor were also missing. Um, I guess she also had some bottles of sleeping pills in her car, but she had one full bottle and one empty bottle, too. So, who knows? <laughs> right. <laughs> Between 8 and 9.30 p.m., a contractor returning home saw a young woman moving quickly on foot eastbound on route... 112, about four to five miles east of where Mara's car was discovered. He noted she was wearing jeans, a dark coat, and a light-colored hood. He did report the police. He did not report to the police right away because he was confused on the dates. Um, however, three months later, when he was reviewing his work records, he realized he had spotted this person on the same night of Mara's disappearance. So the responding officer and the bus driver drove around the area searching for Mara. Weird that the bus driver was helping, but whatever. Um, just before 8 p.m., EMS and a fire truck arrived to clear the scene. By 8.49 p.m., the car was towed. At about 9.30 p.m., the responding officer left. A rag believed to be a part of Mara's emergency roadside kit was discovered and stuffed into the Saturn's muffler pipe. Authorities would, Yeah, so weird. Authorities would refer to Mara as simply missing at 12 p.m. the next day, almost 24 hours after the last confirmed sighting of her. Um, so the muffler pipe thing, they, like, did extensive research on that, thinking maybe she stopped in town and someone decided to stuff it in her muffler to try to get her car to stall so that they could follow her and then do whatever they wanted with her. But they they had a mechanic use a car similar to hers, take it down to, like, I guess it was missing, like, a cylinder and stuff, so they literally made it replica what her car was running at and then shoved a thing in the pipe to see what would happen and literally when they revved the engine it just shot out so he's like i was gonna say like that seems yeah so it literally would have done nothing it wouldn't have stalled the car it would have just come out and so they're thinking because someone said they saw someone behind the car that maybe she was placing it there or whoever was just placing it there as a who knows but um it's to make it really look like that's what happened or yeah. something. Yeah. So they did many searches over the last 16 years. There was a man who gave Mara's father a rusted knife that was apparently his brother's. He spun a story about his brother living only a mile away from where she went missing. What? Yeah. And that him and his girlfriend, they were acting really weird after the disappearance. And he said his brother did it. He killed her. Like, Why would he go to her dad? I, I have no... Yeah, why wouldn't you just go to the police with that? Right. He literally like, gave him the knife. knife that I think might have been used to kill your daughter. Yeah. And <laughs> nothing came of it, though. The, nothing happened. Um, years later, another search around the area took place. They used dogs. Um, and they allegedly went bonkers around a possi- like possibly identifying the presence of human remains. And the location was out of the house of that um, formerly accused brother basically. Um, but nothing came of it either. They didn't find anything. And also the owners at the time of the house weren't really open to letting the house be searched or anything. Um, but what's crazy is even though the police didn't like search as much as they should have the night of, like to them, they're like, this was, this is common people who have been drinking and driving, you know, they don't want to be caught on scene. And so she could have, but like all the fucking weird shit you take, like what? Yeah. So, (laughs) And then, you just flee. You wouldn't. 
Right, and there were no muffler. There were no footprints anywhere. There was two feet of snow on the ground, so you would have seen footprints. Yeah. There was no new snow in the coming days, so they would have been able to see like patterns if she would have gone somewhere. And then um, I guess they used dogs at the time within the next day or two to just like see if they could catch her scent and follow her. And it went up the road and then just like stopped at the intersection. So more than likely, she probably got Someone in a car. Yeah. So there were theories that she like disappeared on purpose. She like tried to do all of this, and they don't think that's possible because she was too attached to her family. Most people who try to disappear literally cut complete ties. Right. Um, they didn't find her in any of the woods. Couldn't find her. Like, how far would she have gotten if she walked off? Not that far, probably. So it's just like a really weird. I'm still, mental illness is still my number one here. Yeah. Well, and who knows? Like, who picked her up? And the, the people, the investigators on the show, they, like, literally sat by where she got hit and saw how many people passed by in the same time frame. And, like, only three cars really drove by. So she's like, how much of an opportunity would she have had to have someone help her? Right. So there were suspicions on the bus driver since he was, like, the only one who talked to her. But he died. I don't know, however many years ago. So, of course, they don't have any anything to, like, really try to look back at. But still to this day, she has not been found. Nothing. Her backpack, her cell phone, her nothing. Nothing of her has ever been seen again. Weird. Yeah. So crazy. But that's my case. I feel like if we tried hard enough, we could solve it. <laughs> Well, and that's the crazy thing. So, like, there's so many podcasters who did something about it. There's these two guys. I can't remember their names. They were on the show. That they spent so much time getting all this information. But because they worked with this... I can't remember the guy's name. A guy wrote a book about it who basically blamed her dad and the men in her life as to why she left or whatever. And because they worked with him, the dad and the family never wanted to interview with those podcasters. And, like, ever talk about well, it. obviously. So, but there's, like, there's some other good podcasts out there. I can't remember the names of them, but they, like, talk about it. I don't know. There's just so many people have, like, dived into it and nothing. And nothing's That's nothing. fucking weird. Yeah. What if she did just, like, run off on her own and think about how satisfied she is that, like, nobody can find her? Well, and that's why they're, I like... I mean, that's probably not what happened, but... Right, but if they, if she did, like, when they talk to someone that, like, specialized in people who just disappear, like, on their own accord to, like, new lives, like, her mom had cancer, she didn't come back for, like, the funeral or anything like that, like, it just seemed too weird that she wouldn't right. have... Like, with her mom having cancer and all that, that she wouldn't have appeared at some point just for that. You know? I don't know. That's so... It's the weirdest... I feel like as her parents, like, that would be worse than, like, just having... Like, having your child, like, be killed or something. Oh, for sure. You have, like, so much more closure. Right. And, like, you just... I couldn't imagine spending every single fucking day, like, not knowing. How do you actually move on with your life? Right. I would rather know, too, for sure. Like... There's no way. God. Yeah. So. That's... Yeah, I'm not mentally strong enough for that kind of shit. No. But that's her case. She's still missing. And well, it's creepy. Well, if any of you know where the fuck she is, <laughs> give us a call. Shoot us an email. <sighs> yeah, please. Or if you are her. We won't tell. Or, please. If you, Laura, if you are listening, please send us an email at a shoulder to crime on podcast 
at gmail.com. Is that our email? No, it's a shoulder to climb on at gmail.com. <laughs> well, the other one's our Instagram. Send us a message on Instagram at a we shoulder to climb on. Won't tell podcast. a soul, especially if you don't want us to. Yeah, we will totally we'll keep your secret. I have lots of secrets. You? No. <laughs> your hair is so big, it's full of secrets. Yeah, my hair's huge. Just full of secrets. <laughs> okay. I ran, I ran, I ran, I ran, What's your case? I've been dying to know. Have you really? Yeah, okay. I have. My case is the murder of Charlie and Cora Abernathy. And here is where my pronunciation question comes in. Town so in North Dakota. I want to say it as it looks, but I feel like the Dakotas have a lot of weird French names. You know, you got like Pierre. Is it Sioux Falls that you're looking at? No, it's not fucking Sioux no. Falls. <laughs> it's Sioux Falls. Well, I don't Jesus know. Christ. Also, that's in South Dakota. Whatever. <laughs> Who cares? That's Dakota a Dakota. Geography Who cares? Okay. So, so Minot. 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 Is it Manet? I don't know. It's M-I-N-O-T. Oh. I don't know why I thought you would be able to answer that. <laughs> like I took French? God. <laughs> or like know a lot about North Dakota. I'm from Colorado, born and raised. I know so much about North Dakota. I've been to Wisconsin. <laughs> but, <laughs> what? I don't know. <laughs> you lived you in Indiana and Minnesota. You should know. <laughs> don't you drive through North Dakota on the way to Wisconsin? No. Really? No. Oh. Well, okay. I mean, I guess if you're coming from a different direction than from Colorado. <laughs> like, okay. Minot. Minot. You know what? They lived in that town in North Dakota. On February 9th, 1994, outside of that town in North Dakota... Steve Abernathy was trying over and over again to get a hold of his parents by phone. Charlie and Cora Abernathy lived seven miles from Steve, and there had been a big blizzard the night before. Uh, he couldn't reach his parents on the phone, so he was worried that they might be without power or something. So Steve and his wife went to the house to check on them. They entered through the kitchen, and the house was in complete disarray. Uh, they immediately found... Charlie Abernathy laying on the living room floor covered in blood. Steve walked around the house looking for his mother, found her laying in bed with gunshot wounds to the head. And how traumatic for a child to find his elderly parents like that. They were like farm guys and his dad was like all old and his cute little like overalls that, you know, old men wear when they like live on farms and stuff. (laughs) So sad. Yes. Was he wearing overalls? overalls? I thought his mom was wearing like a house dress. A moo moo. I'm just guessing. Oh. It makes it sadder to me. Oh. Um, the Abernathy's were described as very family oriented, loved spending time with their kids and their grandkids. Um, so obviously they call the police, cops come, blah, blah, blah. And this guy, who was the DA at the time, his name's Tom Slorby. Slorby? And he is, yeah. But he, I watched, like, a show on this, and this man is just fucking hilarious. The way he talks about everything that happened. So, like, he was the state's attorney at the time, and he okay. wasn't called to the scene until four hours later. And he's 
like he said, you know, why wasn't I called earlier? What are all of these cops doing here? This is North Dakota. These guys have like never seen a murder scene. They're in here walking all around. Like what the fuck? And was just immediately pissed off and annoyed. And there was a chair sitting in the middle of the living room, like right by where Charlie was laying. Uh And it was apparent that Charlie was sitting in the chair when he was, um, murdered yeah and there was like wooden slat on the back of the chair that had blood on it and so tom florby got all excited and he's like like obviously like the killer moved that chair he's like there's blood and like fingerprints like let's take pictures of that and fingerprint it and the deputy he was like walking around videoing the crime scene like he was like well he's like i moved that chair to get a better shot of the guy on the floor so those are my fingerprints my God. Right. And so Slorby wasn't wrong when he said that uh, everyone involved was stupid. Idiots. So, so he's just like basically like this whole crime scene is completely botched. We can't use anything. Like anything. Oh my God. And the show that I watched on ID, like this man, I'm, you need to watch it just to watch him speak because he's amazing. But he just gets so pissed when he's talking about how much the cops, like, fucked up the crime scene. I feel that. Just, I feel it in my soul with how angry right? he must be. He's just, like, so pissed. Oh, my god! And he's, the first thing he noticed is that, because it was a blizzard the night before. Footprints. And when he got to the property, he noticed that, like, the deputies just, like, pulled right up to the garage door, like, covering the tire tracks that were there. No. murders just rolled right up and like got rid of those so that would have been like their biggest thing and so they're like they got nothing to go to go on basically because you're North fired Dakota, you're fired minot mino mina mina they're all North fired dakota are idiots fired back in the 90s anyway fired. at least so fired but so the abernathy's daughter carol um, goes to the police and told them that she had some concerns about her ex-husband. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was really upset about their divorce and had made a lot of little snotty, backhanded comments about how Charlie didn't like him. Um, so the police interviewed him, and he admitted right away that he and Charlie didn't get along and that they'd had a lot of arguments. And he even said himself that he was probably their only enemy but denied any involvement. And he, this guy actually said, he's like, if I would have done anything, it would have been to Carol, not her parents. Jeez. Like, okay. I mean, at least he's being honest. I guess. So Carol never shows up Carol's dead. Carol's still with us, so great. <laughs> um, his alibi ended up completely checking out because he had, he said he was ice fishing in Minnesota um, and someone actually saw him there. So there's no way. Everyone in him. Minnesota ice fish. Good old I've never been ice fishing, but I'm going to I'm going back to Minnesota in January, and my friends' parents are like, because they have a house on a lake. But since it's Minnesota, they're like, we'll throw you an ice fishing party. I'm like, I don't know what the fuck that means, but I am so into it. Are you? Put me in a you're just gonna lake. freeze your ass off and be very bored, staring at the and ice. Do you want to know this? Up in, it was probably like two or three years ago. I learned that. When you're ice fishing, you don't melt a hole in the ice. You, yeah, you drill, drill it. it. Because I asked one of my friends, like, very seriously, like, her husband, I'm like, so do you have to, like, move the tent every so often? And they're like, why? And I'm like, well, when you when you melt the hole, like, does it eventually, like, all the ice melt? 
And they're like, Lucy. Oh, Lucy. You're stupid. Lucy. I'm like, well, you have those propane tanks. They're like, yeah, to stay warm. Ow. Wow. Bring something new every day. If I could pat you on the head, I would. <laughs> Thank you. That makes me feel nice. And say, you're awfully pretty. <laughs> I am awfully pretty. <laughs> Especially when I shower. I feel that way. I feel that in my soul, too. I showered today for the first time in like five days. Just keep <laughs> touching my hair. Oh, I mean, I showered oh. yesterday. Proud of you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I, I need that. It's a lot of work. It is. During this time in everyone's lives. Just during any time. Showering sucks. It's true. I build it up in my head to be like this thing that's going to take me all day and it's going to be just so time consuming and like this miserable thing and like I couldn't possibly fit it into my schedule but it takes like seven minutes and you feel so good afterwards but my whole life I've been like I can't I can't I I cannot possibly shower I used to shower every single day literally I know from the time I was like in fifth grade until I don't know worried about being like the dirty girl I don't know. I did it until I was like a sophomore in college. I Jesus literally Christ. That's not good for you. And then I finally discovered that uh dry shampoo yeah. was a thing and oh. I don't have to straighten my hair every day. It's God gift to us. <laughs> it took me a long time. But now that I discovered it, I'm like, shower? What shower? <laughs> but like when you were done being a cheerleader, you're like <laughs> I don't have to look cute and sporty every day. Listen, we're not gross, we promise. It's just, I mean, come on. We can't be the only ones who feel that showering is such a chore sometimes. I feel like we are not alone. Other people get it. I mean, I'm really happy. Are you someone who shaves their legs every day in the winter? Or do you just have pants on? Only when, like, maybe they get itchier. Like, I'm wearing pants that don't cover my ankles, and I happen to look down, and I'm like, dear God. So you just shave your ankles? No, I don't shave your ankles. Shut up. I don't have hair on my ankles either. You know what I meant. Gross. <laughs> what if I did? I just, like, never had to wear socks because they have, like, really hairy ankles. People don't even notice. They just think it's, like, wool socks coming up from my Birkenstocks or something. <laughs> Take, like, a man's clippers and just, like, trim my hair. Listen, if anyone has ankle hair... <laughs> Talk to us about it. You must be warm, so that's nice. But, perhaps, but I want to know more about it. Send a picture. <laughs> okay, anyway. Okay, so investigators discover that the twenty two caliber shot casings that they found at the scene are from two different guns. And they could see this because when they do ballistics, they could tell that one of the bullets twisted to the left when it left the gun and the mm-hmm. other one twisted to the right. And mm. I don't know anything about guns, but apparently that is not possible for the same gun. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They all shoot just one way. Right. And they leave the same marks only on that. Yes. Sure. It's like a fingerprint. Yeah. Guns have fingerprints. Um, so they began canvassing the neighbors. <clears throat> and the Austin family told the officers that they were worried about their son, Kevin, and that they noticed he'd been stealing money from them and forging checks in their name. And they wanted him to straighten his life out. And they didn't think that he would be a murderer, but they thought that maybe he was impressionable and the kind of person who could be talked into something like this. Okay. (laughs) Right? I know. Like, completely, like, they're you know, they're like, okay, your son sounds like 
a dick, but like none of this was related to our case. Um, so, um, and the, one of the officers working or maybe the state's attorney, I don't remember which one cause I didn't write it down. I actually wrote blank blank instead of his name. I was going to look it up. I forgot. But he knew of Kevin because of some truck fraud charges. And he knew that Kevin was really close with a man named Calvin Noonan. Um, uh, they, this officer and Calvin kind of had a reputation established from different things. And he got Calvin to agree to meet with them. Um, he, so one of the times Calvin got in trouble, he had tried to break into a car that had a man in it. Like, <laughs> I mean, if I were going to pick, I'd pick better. Let's um, try to. You know, so, so Calvin hit this guy over the head with bolt cutters and took off. And mm-hmm. when he was talking to the DA about it, he told him he should have just killed the guy. And he was very serious about it, which obviously that kind of he falls into a killer's profile. Uh so he spent a few years in prison. In a pigeon. <laughs> pigeon. That'd be worse than fucking that prison, would be man. Worse. Pigeons are gross. <laughs> well, fucking, what, what do people call them? Winged rats. rats. The, yeah, winged rats. <laughs> Birds are so dirty. Ew. But, so he spent a few years in prison for the botched carjacking. And after being asked if he heard about the Abernathys, the DA also told Calvin that he heard his friend Kevin was somehow involved and Calvin immediately stopped the conversation and left. I just, I talk with my hands and <laughs> smacked my hand against the dining room chair really hard. Okay. Uh, so the cops needed desperately to put these guys at the crime scene, but because of the fact that the police in tiny town, whatever the fuck it is, North Dakota, just completely <laughs> ruined everything at the crime scene. The entire case depended, like, 100% on a confession, and there was no way the case would be solved without it. And they say that two people can keep a secret if one is dead, so the weakness of these guys, if they did it, was that there was two of them. So, you know, divide and conquer. Mm -hmm. Turn them against each other. Uh, One of the detectives working the case, his name was Bern Erk, and he came up with the idea to uh, do press conferences and just start telling everyone in the public, hope these guys watch TV, but just start saying that they have a whole bunch of evidence being processed, um, that, like, hoping that one of these guys would hear it and, like, crack and be like, well, I don't want to get in trouble, so I'm going to turn in my asshole friend. Right. The DA thought it was kind of insane, but he's like, we have nothing else to do, so, like, what the fuck, let's do it. So they set up all these news conferences. They said they were honing in on suspects. And they really just wanted to convey the message that they were getting really close to making an arrest. And they used the tire tracks as their big thing. I mean, because the cops knew that there were no tire tracks they could use. But Kevin and Calvin didn't know that. Right. Um, and they said they were going to be making some comparisons. And they started going to Kevin and Calvin's houses. Like, they would teach them, like, three times and they'd make sure they could, like, see him from the window. And they'd be out there, like, photographing their car tires, like, taking measurements and making notes. Like, you know, yeah. really wanting them to freak. And they honed in on Calvin the most because out of the two, he seemed like... The weakest the link. The weakest link. Yes! <laughs> yes! Exactly. 
Um, so one of the detective sergeants like started going to Calvin's house and just like casually chatting with him about things. And he did this over the course of like six months and they almost developed like what you could call a friendship, but like obviously not a friendship, but he, you know, infiltrated and kind of got Calvin to trust him. Uh, and he was always really quiet and friendly, but like a little weird and he had a past to being violent. So like Calvin was kind of a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. Um, and once the officer could tell that his defense mechanisms were starting to like slow down, he's like, why don't you just come into the station and talk to us? Mm-hmm. And so he did, he agreed to come in, showed up as scheduled. And as soon as he was in there, he basically broke down and began confessing to everything. Oh my gosh. And Calvin told the police that Kevin had a boardman. There was an older couple who lived out in the country who supposedly kept a lot of money hidden around their house. Apparently, this was like a big rumor in the area, but it wasn't true. And so their plan was they go up to the door, ask to use their phone, and force their way in with guns. And I am so glad that everybody has cell phones now, mm-hmm. because if anyone were to come to the door now being like, can I use your phone? You'd know that they were just there to like pillage, rape, murder, you know. <laughs> Hide your kids. Hide your kids. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> So, you know, and back then you had to feel a little guilty, like, well, maybe these stupid idiots like are stuck somewhere and I should call help. Having a good heart is the downfall of you. It is. You get fucked. I mean, like, emotionally and physically. I was going to say physically, but that is inappropriate. Um, I said it for you. <laughs> right. But the way I was going to say it makes it sound just like sexual and not like. Yeah death you get okay we we get it don't be a good person don't be if any if anyone needs to use the phone don't just don't yeah um but ultimately after calvin's whole confession he refused to testify against kevin and that left the da with like because he had no physical evidence and that left him with no choice but to drop all charges against Kevin Austin. Oh my God. So Calvin went to trial, was found guilty of double murder, sentenced to two consecutive life sentences. And that left Kevin just like, just completely free, nothing, whatever, roaming the streets. And of course the Abernathy family was like terrified because they live in this tiny North Dakota village. They're scared they're going to run into them. They're, you know, I'd be horrified. I'd move. Why they stayed, I don't know. I'd move. Yeah, I'd be like, and I'm out. Right. But, so six years later, DA Tom Slorby, who we love, lost his re-election. Yeah. Um, he's just the best. So he lost his re-election. Somebody else became DA. And as soon as this happened, Calvin asked um, for Slorby to come down to the prison and speak with him. And he did. And Calvin said that he'd made a deal with the new DA that for a reduced sentence, he'd testify against Kevin in court. So they finally arrested Kevin Austin, and Tom Sorby was not stoked that this new DA had made this agreement with right. him to, like, reduce his sentence because he's a murderer. Right. Like a fast murderer and probably shouldn't get out, but whatever. So he testified against Kevin. Kevin was also convicted of double murder and sentenced to two life sentences. Um, but then come May 16th, 2019, Calvin Newham is released after spending 33 years in prison. And the rest of the Abernathy family is like trying to come to terms with this because, you know, it basically yeah. made a deal with the devil. 
And they were just like in their minds, they're like, he's going to be dead or dying or like he's not actually going to get out of prison. Right. But he did. Um, so Calvin's now free. Calvin's now in prison. And that is the blizzardy murder story of Charlie and Cora Abernathy. Oh my goodness. Yes. So how old do you think is Calvin? I, I when was this nineteen ninety four? Yeah. I'm going to say how long ago was that? Almost thirty years ago. It's insane. Twenty seven years ago. I'm gonna say. You know, I could just look it up. I'm gonna say sixties. <laughs> so he was an accomplice, and he. Do they know which and one he killed? He killed the mother. Because he said that, like, they walked in, and Charlie Abernathy, you know, they're like, give me all your money. And he opened his wallet, and he had, like, $400. Okay, and I don't know why I said 1994, because it was 1985. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa! I didn't fuck up the dates this time. (laughs) My bad. Um, But he said that Kevin, you know, Charlie only had $400 to give him, and he's like... That's really it. That's all we have. So Kevin killed Charlie and then said to Calvin, like, this is a team effort. Like, you're going to be guilty, too. Like, you go kill the wife. Wow. So he did. Okay. <sighs> well, that's rough. It is rough. Poor I can't believe I slaughtered that date so severely. Yeah, by like 10 years. Oh, it was because it was 1984. I must have just clicked a nine mm, when I made my notes. Sure. So that was a long time ago. It was a while ago. I don't, 30 plus I years don't, ago. He looks really old in his pictures. I'm sure he'll die soon. <laughs> I have to hope. Is Kevin still in prison? Yeah, Kevin ain't getting out. Oh my goodness. If he had died in prison, I would tell you what his last meal was i'm sure you would wait a minute okay i'm sorry i'm just trying to make sure that my dates are appropriate they are whatever it's okay lucy sucks kinsey rocks it's fine okay kinsey, over <laughs> seventh grade <laughs> what about seventh grade lucy sucks kinsey rocks <laughs> i also like bagels because they're not too jewish for me so Way too Jewy for me. Fuck, <laughs> fuck with Jerry Seinfeld, but definitely not bagels. Oh my gosh, that's funny. Well, nice job. That was fun. I'm really cold now after thinking about snow. After thinking about with more to come in our forecast. So blood. Yes, you guys. Next week is the Christmas episode. Yes, and I must say. I am so excited for mine. It's one of my absolute favorites. I'm scared. This is going to be like a three-hour episode because I'm not going to want to stop talking about it. So I'll just, buckle up. I'll mute her. Don't worry. I was just going to kids, you will just like edit out <laughs> everything but like the names and dates. Oh and if anyone is from that town in North Dakota, tell me how to say it. Yeah, please. Please tell her how to say it. I have no idea. My not. All right. Well, thanks for listening to another episode. Remember to email us at a shoulder to crime on at gmail.com. 
not a shoulder to cry on podcast at no. gmail.com. A shoulder to cry on. And then a shoulder to cry on podcast is our Instagram. And check out our Patreon so we can start releasing some Patreon only content for you because that would be great. Sorry. <laughs> anything else? Anything else we have to close with? I don't think so. I think I have to go stop my dog from from killing something. The attractive man. I'm trying to get him to be my friend, and this is not helping my cause. No. No. All right. Well, thanks, guys. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to A Shoulder to Crime On. Our music is by Oliver Liu. Our cover art and editing by Kinsey Turner. You can email us at ashouldertocrimeon at gmail.com, follow our Instagram at ashouldertocrimeonpodcast, or become a supporting Patreon at patreon.com slash ashouldertocrimeon. Thanks, and see you next week.